Today, we're going to jump into Palm Sunday. Last Sunday, we talked about, you know, on the, on the road to the cross, there's failure. The week before that, Pastor Bobby talked about the fact that, you know, there are times, there are times when you've, you've truly got to be able to, to work your way through the, the continual challenge. And the first week about the road to the cross leads to salvation. Today, the road to the cross leads to you. I mean, this is the most beautiful thing. You know, and, uh, somewhere along the way, somebody had a great idea. They were in South Florida and decided, you know what? I want to drive all the way to Detroit. I sure would like not to have to make all the twists and turns. So we're going to build an interstate. And we built Interstate 75. So you can get on Interstate 75 in South Florida and you can drive, if you were so inclined, all the way to Detroit, Michigan. But I've learned that when you get on I-75 north of 285 between there and somewhere around Delk Road, that's where you go when you die without Jesus. Amen. If it is the day before a holiday and you're headed south on I-75 and you get off of 675 headed to McDonough, let me just stop and say, we need, you need to walk around, you need like the Pope dude with the holy water, just slinging it at you. Because I know what you're saying to those cars. I should have always gotten one of those peach passes. You know, you look to your left and those cars are doing about 80 and you're doing about 12. And you're thinking, I, I got to have a road. Well, the road to the cross is a road that literally takes you from where you are to everywhere God wants you to be. It goes from where you are to everywhere God desires for you to be able to succeed. It is the ability to be able to take us everywhere God wants us to be. And the best part about this road is that while we're on the road, we know we're never alone. Yes, you stumble. Yes, you fall. Yes, you can get up. But the fact of the matter is that all the way back hundreds of years before Jesus showed up on the earthly scene, Isaiah the prophet gave us a word in chapter 53, verse 5. And in that text, he lays out for us the gospel as we know it today. Now, the beautiful picture of this was that there's a story all over this. And we want to unpack the story briefly today. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Now, to pierce something, let's just say you had a piece of sheetrock nothing behind it. You're between the two studs. You take a 16-penny nail, a hammer. You don't have to hit it very hard, and that nail goes straight through that piece of sheetrock. You know what it did? It pierced the sheetrock. Are you with me? If you take a ballpoint pen and a piece of paper and you jab it hard enough, what does it do? It pierces through that paper. When the text says that Jesus, who is the he inside of our story, but he, Jesus, was pierced Literally, he was pierced. Nails in his hands, nails in his feet, sword in his side, crown of thorns pressed down upon his head. Pierced. And then it says, why? For our transgressions. Now, if you start trying to figure out transgressions, it's not like we use that word all the time, but I want you to imagine that you know God's will is for you to stay straight on this road. Like, stay on the straight and narrow, right? This is God's way. Do this and, and you will succeed wildly. Do this and you'll find great joy and peace in your life. When you decide to do your own thing and get off and blaze your own trail, this is what transgression means. 
It's like you have left God's highway and you've got off on private property. And when you got off on private property, you had no idea, but they were having a quail hunt. And when they heard you, they thought you were a quail. Are you with me? Like number six shot just hit you and it was like, not good. God, I need to get back on your highway. That would be a transgression. So Jesus literally pierced, he, the Jesus in the story, pierced for our finding our own way and not choosing his. And then he says, and he was crushed. Literally, we don't spend a lot of time there because we get the concept of crush. But the big picture that we don't always get about crush is that to be crushed would be to literally have the life drawn out of you. You step on a bug, what did you do? You took the life from that, that little creature. If you, if, if you step on a grape, you took the life-giving elements of that grape. He was crushed. The life was taken. Why? For our iniquities. So now, again, iniquity is not something we run around using all the time. So if you unpack the word iniquity, what you're really saying is Jesus was crushed because of our choice to do evil. Now, just don't lose me here, all right? Don't stop here and say, oh boy, Chuck, it's one of those hellfire and brimstone ones, all right? But I want you to get this concept that literally the the word iniquity would mean we know better, but we do it anyway. Iniquity would be, okay, I know what's right and wrong, but I choose to do wrong. And, And that would be true for all of us. Like the reason why it doesn't name out certain people who do this, it is because all of humanity does. So Jesus was pierced for our going our way, not his. He was crushed, his life was taken from us because of our choice for bad, not good, for evil, not God. And then it says that punishment, what punishment? The punishment of having to be pierced and crushed, this was the punishment that, listen to this, brought us peace. Now the greatest commodity on the planet is when our hearts are at peace. When our hearts are at peace, everything else in our life seems to work well. But when our hearts are disgruntled, when our hearts are constantly inflamed with the burden and the pain of life without peace, we make bad decisions and we ruin good relationships. And in the midst of this, the scriptures, Isaiah the prophet is saying, Jesus did all this so that you don't have to live that way. You can live in peace. And but then it goes on and says, but that peace was on him. Who's the him? Jesus. So all that peace that you get is because of him. And he's the one that brings it to you. Listen to the rest of the text. The punishment that was brought to us. So watch this. Peace comes to us and peace is brought and delivered to us. It is delivered to us in the presence and the power of Jesus himself. Without the presence and power of Jesus, you don't have eternal peace. Now you say, well, Chuck, you know what I do? Me and Deepak get together every week and it's on. And I get me a little peace. Let me just stop and say, good for you. Right? I think that's awesome. But could I just stop and say, if we're not careful, we will grab the world's idea of peace. And in that peace, we'll realize how incredibly short-lived it is. But if we grab hold of the peace of the one who chose to give us life, it is in that moment we find peace all the time and peace in the middle of the storm and peace for all eternity. This is the joy of peace that is brought to us from the presence of God himself in the person of Jesus who was pierced for our transgressions, who was crushed for our iniquities, and the peace that we get, it was all on him. 
You can't do anything on your own that will bring you eternal peace. Now, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of things you can do to help you get peace. There are plenty of things you can do to help find peace in your life. But if you're looking for peace that is not flitting, if you're looking for peace that is not temporary, then the only place you're going to find it is the peace brought from heaven in the presence of Christ straight to your life. This is where we find peace. But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. Oh, and watch this. And because of his wounds, we're healed. Praise God. Right? Because of his wounds... We're healed. This story, this passage, everything about it, this verse is everything. Everything that I know. I've hung my very future on this verse. I have hung the very future of my life in eternity on this verse. And the reason I have is it's right at the center. It's the climax of every story that's ever been told. Every moment, all of history, the single moment by which all other moments will be measured. Why? Because I want you to see it. But I want you to feel it. This is not one of those stories where you just read it and think that was sweet. It's not a movie that you watch and think, but that's impossible. It's something we feel. We know that when the living Christ goes to work within us, we know that he is at work. He is stirring us up. He is power washing our soul. He's getting in the nooks and crannies of everything that we have. At a molecular level, Jesus comes in and goes to work in our life, and I want you to feel it. I want you to feel the good. I want you to feel the evil. I want you to see it. And it's a lot of it. It was our grief that he bore. Our sorrows. Our selfishness. And every bad choice that we have ever made. His peace was brought to us. And because of his wounds, we are healed. That is what Jesus, the he and our scripture has done. Oh, my friend, listen, the truth is that we're, we're the ones who went astray. I mean, well, where was God in the middle of the pandemic? The same place he was when his son hung on the cross. Right? Well, where, where was God in the middle of my divorce? The same place he was when, he, when his son hung on the cross. Where, where was God when, when I lost my shirt and I lost everything I owned and everything went down the tubes? Where was God? Right there with you. How do I know that? Because of the power and the presence of Jesus. And because of his wounds, we are healed. This is why we celebrate. The sinless substitute, Jesus the Lord. This verse is the climax of all history. All history. If the Bible is true, if Jesus is God, if heaven is real, and if our lives have any meaning, if there's a plan for the universe, then the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus are the climax and the beautiful picture of everything. Nothing barred. You say, but Chuck, listen, you mean it's better than having a new grandchild born? I've had both, and I'll take Jesus. You say, well, well Chuck, you mean, you mean better than marrying someone you love and living in a beauty... I'll take Jesus too. Now, don't get me wrong. I want Jenny along for the ride, but I want Jesus. If the Bible is the story of the world, the true revelation of the God who made everything, then this is the central event of the story. But we all know that there has to be some type of hiccup. There has to be some kind of conflict in every story. Every great novel that's ever been written had conflict in it somewhere. Every great movie that's ever been seen that's ever been produced had conflict in it somewhere. And in our life, we are going to find conflict. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, it's, it's like I live in a never-ending part of conflict. 
I mean, don't you? I mean, it's like every Sunday morning you have conflict. You know how I know that? You have children. Every Sunday morning you have conflict. You know how I know that? Because Satan wants to say to you, you don't have to watch this online. You can watch Jeff Corwin swim with dolphins. Don't know why you'd want to do that. That wasn't in my notes, but it just came into my head. You say, well, I, I don't need to come and, and worship the Lord. And all the while, Jesus is saying, but because of my wounds, you are healed. Is that worthy of worship? Is that worthy of worship? Is that worthy of praise? Is that worthy of being here? Because at the end of the day, my friend, this is the climax of every story that's ever been told. And it couldn't be clear because it's a reflection of our humanity, our conflict with sin. I mean, think about this. God created the heavens and the earth. And in doing so, he created man and woman. And for two chapters, two whole chapters out of the 66 books of the Bible, two whole chapters, everything was great. And then in chapter 3, sin enters the world. And from that moment on, we have had to deal with this ongoing sin problem. And you know what we have to deal with because of that? Conflict entered the world. Between who? Between we and God. Me and you and God. Why? Because our transgressions get us off his path and our iniquities choose evil over his way. And you say, well, Chuck, I'm not a bad guy. I'm not saying you are. Well, Chuck, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a bad lady. I'm not saying you are. Chuck, I'm not a bad kid. I'm not saying you are. What I am saying is this. Not any of us, none of us, not one of us, not for an iota have we been perfect. None of us. By the way, if you decide you are perfect, I am begging you to meet Jesus because he'll share with you that you're not. (laughs) But he will love you anyway. And he'll take you anyway. And he'll love you like you were. Because it doesn't get any better than that. But now watch this. This is amazing. After two chapters, chapter three enters and God says, I'll figure it out. And at that point, it gets pretty funky. So God looks at this weird creation of his and and I can't imagine the heartbreak that the Lord looks at his creation, his children, transgressors, evildoers, iniquities. And so we start giving like doves and, and and. pigs and and we take all kind of things and we make sacrifices with them with lambs and goats and and before you long we're giving we're giving away these animals and their blood's supposed to do something and god looks at his creation says no 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 can you imagine i mean this story would be a ma rated story at this point because we're just so messed up in this world and yet god created us and we are his sin-filled selfish children I mean, we're not much different than the people of Israel. I mean, we, we beat on them pretty hard. It's like, come on, man, you wandered for 40 years? What is wrong with you people? I mean, you once were slaves, and, and then you wander? I mean, what, what is, was it something in the Egyptian water? No, listen, we haven't changed after all these years. We're still wandering. We're, we're still crying out to God, God, I need your help. And then it's like, ah, idols, that's good. God, I need your help, and he shows up, and ah, idols are good. Here's the good news. He's God and he has a plan. This is the great news. Here's, it's God. He has a plan. From the very beginning, it starts as a promise, a promise that God himself will provide a way for correction. Watch this. For correction and restoration. All right, now watch this. This is this. I promise you, this is worth you coming for, all right? I'll promise you, this was worth it. Correction 
is when you buy an old car and you try to make it run. Are you with me? You buy like a 1967 Camaro and, and you just want to get it to run because with that V8 in it, you, you want to put it in neutral and go, wah, 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 wah. some of you do. And so some of you like, no, I want it to go, mm. I don't understand y'all. But the difference between correcting and restoring is when you take that 67 Camaro and you fix the body and you put a custom paint job on it and you replace all the leather and the dash and you put a four speed with a Hurst shifter in it and you get it where it sounds unbelievable and you got some new radials on it and you get those chrome wheels on it and when you put a stereo on it, I'm telling you, you're thumping for miles and when you hit first and you let go of the clutch, you hear it and you're just thinking, bless the Lord, oh my soul. I watched one of those 1967 Camaros sell yesterday at the, at, at the Barrett Jackson auto auction for $195,000. You know how much it was new? $3,700. That's the difference in correction and restoration. Come on, let me say that one more time because clearly you didn't get it. God sent his son to ride in on that colt. And the course of this week, we went from correction all the way to $195,000 restoration. And we did it because he said, I love you and I want more for you. And he gave his life that we might have that. We don't need correction. My friend, we need restoration. So Jesus, the son of the living God, came. The son of God came as our replacement, our representative, and he came to restore what was broken. He willingly took our place, enduring the punishment we deserved. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, punishment on him that brought us peace. He saw how helpless we were. And he took it upon himself, the weighty punishment that was what we deserved. A peace that had to be won for us, given to us. Peace with our loving God and Heavenly Father. But what about the rest of the story? Our lives are the response to this climax. What we do with this sacrifice, what will we do with it? Will we just get caught up in bunnies and eggs? Or will this week be something that we slow our pace down, as Bobby said, and we'll take in these four promises of God that will stop and recognize the beauty found in Good Friday, the power found in the resurrection of Sunday. It ought to change everything, and it ought to change you. Because Jesus didn't come to correct you. He came to restore you. Because when he made you, he made no mistake when he made the wonderful you. And he wants the wonderful you to be all he has in store for you. Therefore, he came to take you from a 67 Mustang, better yet, Camaro, (laughs) with the paint peeling and the rust and the seats that are all cracked and the dash that is half out and the motor that is shot with two flat tires. And he came and he put you on his tow truck 
and he took you all the way to restoration. And when he rolled you off into the shop, we looked and said, now that's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does. You can do all things. You can do all things but fail, God. Because you've never lost a battle. You've never lost a battle. And I know, I know you never will. Because everything's possible by the power of the Holy Ghost. A new wind is blowing right now through this place, in your heart, through your soul. And that wind that blows through, let it blow through because it comes with the presence and the power of Jesus himself found in the presence of the Holy Ghost, the third part of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Let it blow through your soul and bring you a refreshed and reformed look at life. Let your reformation take you all the way where you have gone from correction to what? Restoration. Restoration. Come on. I'm telling you, if you can't preach that, you are quit the business. Breaking my heart of stone, taking over like it's Jericho, and my walls are crashing down. You've never lost a battle. You've never lost a battle. You've never lost a battle. I, this is my favorite line. And you never will. Come on. And you never will. Well, now you might be saying, you know what, Chuck? All that's just church stuff. All that's just a song. All that is is scripture. Okay, but look, before I let you go, I want you to hear these words. Look right here. Don't give up on me. Look right here. If Jesus has yet to lose a battle and he has yet to lose one, I'm talking a battle that included death and raising from a grave. He's not going to let you lose yours. If Jesus came to win, he came so you can win. Jesus isn't selfish with victory. He likes to share it. And he wants to pour it out on you. And he wants the breath and the wind of his Holy Spirit to blow through your life to such a degree that you can say, I win! I win! I win! Because, friend, listen. You can do this in the power of the Spirit of God. You can love God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, but not on your own. Let him restore you today. Jesus, I'm calling on your name to step into my life and restore me this day. And if that is your prayer, say it like you mean it. Father, I thank you and I praise you that you've never lost a battle and you're not going to lose one now. God, I praise you that during this week that we kick off Holy Week that, God, it's not just another week. It's not just another place in history. It split time in half and it changed our world forever. It took us from being people that had no hope to people that had eternity. From people that that literally just had to be corrected all the time to people that could become restored. God, restore our soul and bring us to life in you today. Because you've never lost a battle. And God, you're never going to. So we praise you in this time in the name of Jesus, our Lord, our King, our Savior, our Restorer, our Hope, our Strong Tower. It's in all those names we pray. Amen. Amen.
and amen. Come on, let's worship, church. Come on. Come on, church, let's worship. Come on. Come on. Let's get after it today. Come on.
need some oxygen. Bless the Lord, oh my good night. That was fun. When you hit that one thing and get all fired up, I'm telling you, it just tears me up. I love y'all. A church ought to be fun, shouldn't it? I mean, I had some fun today. Can I tell y'all, just in the busyness of this week, don't miss the reason, Jesus. And listen, don't. It's not just another week. Don't miss the risen Jesus. I'm so grateful that he's never lost a battle. And in him, you won't either. Oh, my stars. God bless you, church. Go in peace.